Hello and welcome again to Vagabond Actors Podcast, where we discuss all things acting, the craft and the process, the business and pretty much everything in between. Uh, my name is Gary Condes and I'm talking to you from London, but I'm also joined as always by my fellow actors and acting teachers that form this dynamic trio. They are Brian Casp, who is based in Prague. Hello, Brian. How are you doing these days? Hey, Gary. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Pretty good. And yourself? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Just sitting here in my chair, enjoying talking to you guys. Good, good, good. Well, that's what we like to hear. And we've also got Andrea Helen, who always puts a little bit of balance between myself and Brian, who is based in Mallorca. Hello, Andrea. Hello, guys. How are you? So today we are going to get into a bit of craft, a bit of technique, and tackle the subject of actions or tactics, whichever way you want to call it. I, I think those are the most common or universal terms used for this element in acting, but we'll have other ones I'm sure that we can bander about, and we'll get stuck into what exactly they are, how to use them, their effects, and any problems and pitfalls in using them. But first, as always, we are going to have a quick check-in and catch up with what we've been up to since we last spoke, work-wise or any creative endeavors we've been up to or engaged with. So who wants to kick it off? Okay. I've set myself a deadline this week, and I have been working on a script idea that I would like to write. And I am a talker, so I like to talk to friends and, and loved ones, probably ad nauseum, about these script ideas. And then I never seem to write them. And I was talking with a writer friend of mine on the phone, and she's working on a novel. And I was talking about this idea. And then she said, well, I would love to read some of it. And I said, well, I don't really have anything written yet. I mean, nothing that I could show anyone. But I said, well, why don't I write a treatment of it and I will send it to you and I will do it by December 23rd. And so <laughs> I've set myself a deadline of writing this treatment and I've started working on it. And I'm working through, as I think I mentioned to you, Gary, this Coffee Break Screenwriter book by Pilar Alessandro. Right. I really like it and it feels very practical to me. And I've also... Um, so I don't know if you guys have listened to the Script Notes podcast, and I know this is something that we might talk about in the third section usually, but John August and Craig Mazin, they're both screenwriters. Craig Mazin was the showrunner for Chernobyl. They have a podcast called Script Notes, and one of the episodes of Script Notes is Craig Mazin basically going through his way of using character and using dramatic irony and dramatic intention to structure a movie. And so I went through the transcript of that episode, which uh, we can include a link to in our show notes, where it really details how to take your characters and you use a dramatic theme and you use irony to place this character into basically a crucible where they have to go through this experience of the film to start to embody this idea of this dramatic theme that you'd like to get across. And so I've been looking at this transcript and thinking about my project and constructing my main character and the anti-hero and all of the supporting characters in such a way that not only do they go through the plot points of this true story that actually happened, but they also get at some kind of theme that I would like them to get at. And so I'm looking at that and trying to figure out how to put all those pieces together in time to get this treatment over to my friend. <laughs> so that's what I've been that's what I've been focusing on for the last few days. 
Cool. That's pretty pretty involved. But it sounds like, you know, getting into that sort of technical structural aspect of it gives you a hat to hang on and get started and kick it off. Well, it's interesting because it doesn't feel like it's technical. I mean, it, it is technical, but it's basically like saying, well, what, what do you want to say about the world? Well, you, we've, we've mentioned Joseph Campbell before on our podcasts, and uh, mm-hmm. what might help you is to, to look at his hero's journey, because you, you know, what mm-hmm. you're describing there is the hero's journey. But also, whether you like him or not, he's quite controversial. The psychologist Jordan Peterson does a great lecture on Pinocchio and The Lion King. All that, <laughs> they are cartoons, yeah. However, they are brilliant sort of analysis of the journey that the characters go through and why. The greater theme behind it and each individual scene serves to get nearer to it or further away from it and hence you get the obstacles and the, and the drama and, and the journey that the character has to fight for. So that might help, yeah. that might help you. Great. I love it. I could use all the help I can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a mammoth task and I wish you luck. Thank you. You could then write a thematic-based mm-hmm script about writing a thematic based film and script (laughs) (laughs) it's been done yeah but you know you'd at least have plenty of things to draw from you'd know what your theme was and you'd know what the problems were when you when you because you've done it (laughs) yeah maybe maybe but that's what that's what i've been up to this week kind of thinking about that andrea what have you been up to over there Oh, I'm not writing a huge script that's due next week, uh, right before Christmas. Uh, so hats off to you, Brian. It's really interesting <laughs> what you're up to, and I can't wait to hear about the progress. Um, but it does make me think of some things that I want to do. So thank you for sharing because I'm already making notes. So here on this end, what have we been doing? Well, there's some preparations for uh, classes in the near term. And a couple of self-tapes that have come my way. And I have to say, I'm having a lot more fun with self-tapes. I think I am, You, you maybe you two are doing it for me. You two are helping cure me of my desire to make everything perfect. And oh, uh, through our example of not being perfect, <laughs> well, it's good enough for them. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that is a backhanded compliment or not. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, they just throw it out there. Why don't you just throw it out there, Andrea? Yeah. <laughs> if they can get away with it, it must there must be something cool. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, I think, you know, recently maybe, Brian, you quoted, you know, perfect is the enemy of good, or I don't remember what the quote was, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think you know what I mean, that, that sometimes yeah. we can get in our own ways when we struggle to make things just so, so right. And I certainly wrestle with that a bit, especially when you have a self tape and you do have control over so many elements, you know, I want everything to just really be, really be right on. So I am trying to find that freedom in the self tapes and recognize when something's been captured. And even though something else may not be as perfect as as I'd like it, if there's a certain life force or an energetic thing to the way it went down that I think jumps out at me or makes me feel a certain way. I'd rather send in something that feels fun where they have a little bit more of a sense of my essence rather than worrying about craft and technology so much. So I'm playing around with that a bit. In fact, there was a self-tape I had to do yesterday and it was all improvisation. And I had, you know, just a little bit of an idea about something to do. And I did a couple takes in that direction. And then I realized that the doing of the improvisation 
gave me a couple other ideas. So I gave it another go and I really liked it. I don't know. I, something just happened when I felt really free. You know, it was a comedic improvisation and it, and it was a good time. So even I even felt good enough to show it to my family, which I don't wow. always feel. I'm often very, very you know, circumspect about that. So they saw it, they laughed. My daughter caught all the little things I was doing and that was fun. So, um, can I ask you something, Andrea? Yeah. Are you getting any feedback from your agent about what you're sending in? Yes. It's been very positive. It's important to point out that doing self tapes, it feels like you can just be sending it off into this black hole where they go, thanks, we got it. And then there's nothing coming back. Right. So it's sometimes hard to know where that is. And so basically what you're talking about is developing for yourself your own aesthetic, your own kind of um, barometer of saying, this is what I want to send out there. Yes. Even if it's not quote unquote right. And who really knows what's right anyway, because it's the director and the producer that's going to say what's right. So So thank you. That's the main thing. And then I was invited this morning to join in a Meisner class that's taking place at the Schauspielschule Zerboni. And don't try and say that three times quickly. This is a wonderful uh, private uh, acting school in Munich, and I know the director of the school. And so he invited me to go in and to play repetition with each of the students Mm. on Zoom. And they were so lovely giving and interesting and they were so kind to me i was it was almost overwhelming how generous and kind and welcoming they were to me so that was very special so i'm uh, i'm looking forward to popping into a couple more classes with them and repetition works pretty well on zoom too huh yes it goes okay and you know you have to take advantage like in one case she was doing an activity and she was pretty close into the camera and i said i so i'm so curious and frustrated because i want to see what you're doing and i only get your your beautiful face so yeah you have to make use of the fact that that's that's the reality right that's that's the truth of what you have yeah well i would just want to hear andrea say that german phrase three times in a row (laughs) i I thought you said is it does it actually take place on a zamboni (laughs) (laughs) yes we're riding around the ice rinks of munich and we're socially distanced and the one one of them has a camera yeah yeah that sounds good very recommended. Uh, they're doing, I think, some nice work. I've met a number of the actors who've studied there uh, here at workshops in Mallorca, and they are doing really, really solid work, uh, extremely committed, and they're booking jobs. So keep an eye out for them. Cool. And and regard to your sort of self-tape development, on, on behalf of Brian and myself, you're welcome. <laughs> we get you. 10%. <laughs> okay. And Gary, what have you been up to this this past week? Well, <laughs> this past week I've returned to onset coaching for the first time since before April, since this whole strange new brave new world has been thrust upon us. I've been doing it the last few days and it looks like it's going to have to be suspended because of the new developments uh with restrictions. Uh, so we'll pick this up in the new year, I'm sure, but It's been great to get back on set. It's been so long and it's such a breath of fresh air to experience again the hustle and bustle of being on the front line and and, and Mm -hmm. the production. It's a client of mine who has written 
and is playing the lead and also directing his own long-form short. We've done all the prep work. We've worked very diligently over the last few weeks over Zoom and in person when we could to really prep him for this role because he doesn't want to be thinking too much about it because he's directing as well. But I'm going to help him out with that too and keep an eye on those things. But I feel like a classic coach, which is like like a boxing coach or a basketball mm. coach on the touchline and, you know, in between rounds or during timeouts, I'm giving instructions and pepping him up and triggering and motivating because we've done all the groundwork and and these are just little triggers. So, you know, I'm finding myself coming away exhausted because I'm so energized, (laughs) you know, pretty much living what he has to live through because I've got to impart it to him. So that's what I've been doing. I've been on set coaching and supporting this actor who's really doing it for himself. So yeah, it's been really great getting out there again, uh, which looks like from Thursday of this week is going to have to stop and it's going to be put to a halt because we have to go back into lockdown. But um, yeah, it's been fantastic. It is nice being back on a set. That is 100% true. It really is. And you brought that up on your a couple of podcasts ago. I think it was when you were talking about being back on set as an actor. It's very unique. It's a very unique place. Gary, have you done onset coaching for someone who is not so much the director and in charge of everything? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. How do you find yeah. that? Because there is an interesting balance sometimes when you are on set as the coach between mm-hmm. something that you might say and something that the director might want. There can be a little bit of a tightrope to walk. Yes. There. So do you find that or? Yes. I Well, the first thing I do when I'm appointed on set coach is to speak to the director. I introduce myself and I say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I approach it. On set, I will be observing and I'll step it back into the shadows. Mm-hmm. And I try not to interfere unless the director wants me to, apart from maybe the odd wink. I, I've built up a sign language, which I can uh, then send over and communicate to certain actors if they need it. But um, most of the time, It's like, yeah, great, fantastic. You know what? That's really good because it'll take a lot of the pressure off me because he's been coming up with some great work or she's been coming up with some great work. So, yeah, I'm liking it. And there are occasions where they get a bit proprietorial and kind of, yes, okay, well, you know, I, I don't really want you on set or, you know, I don't want you interacting with the actor in between during shooting. And I'm like, fine, no problem. You know, I make sure I do all my work in the trailer or on the way up there or in the hotel. Um, when I'm on set. But uh, most of the time, it hasn't been a problem. And there's always a little bit of trepidation, I I, I feel. Not from me, because I know what my my work is. And I know that you, the director, are in charge and you're steering this ship. And and it's not my job. And I wouldn't want to do that. But when I start to get to grips with it, that falls away very quickly because they can see I'm not interfering. For those actors who are wanting to kind of get into the vibe a bit more and need to slip into it slowly rather than just turn it on, it's like, you know, we're going to go for a walk. And I want your monologue. I want your inner monologue. And I'm going to fire some questions at you. And we're going to run the scene. And I'm going to, we're going to improvise. And I want you in character. And so there's things like that that can be done before I even get there, which solves any need for me to have to interfere, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and then do you find that you have to check in with the director midway through or? Well, I take myself away. Mm-hmm. And I get a you know vantage point so I can view it, obviously, because I mm-hmm. want to see what's going on. But I, I don't say anything. And I find if you give people space, the director space, before you know it, they're going, Gary, and I'm like, yeah. And like, I'm not getting this anger. I need them to be triggered. Yeah. You can do something. And I'm like, I certainly can. Let me be of assistance. Anger. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning 
in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, we Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. So listen, I'm going to freely admit on the podcast that when you say tactics or actions, I mean, I I have an understanding of what classic tactics are, but I have a feeling that it's a lot more than that. So can you introduce me to what you mean when you say actions or tactics? I guess this comes into place when you're talking about the analysis of the scene or how you're going to approach it or, or where do you, where would you even start to bring this kind of work in? So an action sort of sits at the bottom of the pyramid of levels of actions, if you like, and objectives. It's the sort of smallest unit of action that is actable in acting. Or another way of looking at it is it's the smallest manageable unit of thought that can be expressed as a verb. Now, let me explain this a bit more, right? You've got maybe in your whole hierarchy of the world of doing something, you've got maybe your life goal or your life objective or your life purpose. There's always going to be lots of different nomenclature for it and labels. Underneath that, you may have your super objective, it's sometimes called, or your overall objective of the film or the play. And then you'll have a scene objective. And then within a scene, you'll have your action. So they're the smallest unit of doing that an actor can execute when they are acting. Basically, let's first of all look at all the different ways that it's referred to. And I use the word action because I like it. It does what it says on the tin. And it's an action and action is doing. They're often referred to and interchangeable with the terms intention, strategy, or what I'm sure you'll appreciate more, doings. I prefer to refer to them as physical actions because there's a sense that there is something physical in them and gestural and behavior is involved. Even if you're not using your body and it's just an internal thing, there's still something physically attached to it. So in simple terms, and I'm going to hand this over to Andrea to pick up on, but in simple terms, let me float this out there. Actions are commonly described as things that you do behaviorally to get what you want. It's the thing that you go about how you go about achieving your objective. And we do them all the time in life. I mean, you look at kids or pets, even dogs. (laughs) They do actions when they want something. They're a little bit more subconscious in those guys, but they do them. So yeah, they're these things that we do in order to achieve what we want in life. And of course, in drama and in comedy. Well, I think you've, you know, introduced it really in a lovely way. And what hopefully people are starting to hear already is this idea of ACT, like there's acting in there, there's energy in what you're describing. It goes beyond 
an emotional piece to have a feeling about something. And it's taking that point of view and that need and putting it into some sort of an action. And it's important to talk about why this is so critical to the work. You know, what is the utility of this in breaking down a scene and understanding overall themes and in understanding character development. And we've talked about it in our objectives episode. We've talked about it certainly at length in the three-parter we did on text analysis. And I think the reason we wanted to come back to just this one idea in its own episode is because the three of us all believe that this is a really, really critical part of the work. And I would say that one of the stages that we all observe in our student actors as they move through whatever work they're doing, whether it's intensely Meisner or a combination of approaches, you know, there's a point when they really dig down deep into the emotional life. And many actors, I think, sometimes at that point feel like, I've got it. You know, I know how to stir the pot. I know how to get myself going emotionally. I'm in. I can take off from here. I've got it. And to me, it's just that is a stage of development. That's a stage of personal understanding that's critical, but it is not the be all and end all. Then you need to take that emotion and make very, very specific use of it because your obligation is not to get on screen and demote all over the place. Your obligation is to get in there and to do what is demanded of you and to bring that scene to life. And that means to be specific and not general, to be creative to find that human behavior and to be focused on something outside of yourself. And so I think one of the great benefits of it is that when you have decided in a scene, rather than to just be angry, you've decided that you want to conquer this other character. You know, you can even hear it in the words. Something energetically happens. Anger is a big old field. But when I decide that I'm going to take over and I'm going to win at any cost and this person will be my victim and I feel that they are worth sacrificing because my end goal is far superior to theirs, like suddenly all of these things happen. I come to life in a more creative way. The scene just explodes. And we've now moved from being general to bringing something truly to life and then honoring, of course, the ideas of the playwright or the screenwriter. So it's just so important for us to underscore why this is critical. At the same time, I would say, even in the beginning stages of an actor's development, if an actor can think about doings and actions and intentions already and recognize them as he or she is reading scripts, hopefully reading film scripts, reading lots of play scripts, I hope, and really looking for that. Well, this section, guess what he's doing here? He's cursing her. Okay, that that brings a certain kind of life forward. Is he browbeating her? What does that look like? You know, and then you see then you see the flow through a scene, you see how it fits together thematically, you see the character struggles. Like sometimes when you just begin with this 
it starts to illuminate for you all of the other pieces that you need to ideally bring together and to understand. There is so much reward and you will really find that if, as long as you're calling that you're figuring out properly what the intention is in the script and it may take a little bit of play, but you got to get to the right intention. When you do that, really so many things open up to you and you align yourself thematically with the creators of the piece. Great. Yes. I'm just going to go a little bit further with trying to answer what they are exactly, because mm-hmm. totally everything you've said is totally makes sense and is spot on. And like the podcast that we did on objectives, it's a similar thing in that lots of people have different phrases for it and have different perceptions for it and different concepts. Mm-hmm. Think of it in these terms. If your objective is what you are doing overall in the scene, the what, then your action are the bite-sized hows to how you go about executing mm-hmm. this your objective. Uh Actions, I'm sure you've heard this, uh, they are active verbs, or at least they're described and used as active verbs or transitive verbs. Now, in essence, transitive, the word transitive means to affect something else. Uh And a transitive verb needs to transfer its action to something or someone else outside of yourself. It so links in with the Meisner sense and principle of doing, the reality of doing, what are you doing to the other person, and this description of doings. Um, So there's a real correlation there. And these transitive verbs, for instance, these doing words, I mean, I learned this at school, and it kind of popped up when I started acting. It was like, oh, the way to understand what a verb is, an action verb is, is they are doing words. And Gary, can you give some examples of them? Because Andrea said to conquer, right? So what what are some other examples of what you might mean? Yeah. So this idea of transitive verbs, which is something that you are doing presently, it's in flux, it's journeying through to affect someone or something else. And they are, think of them as doing verbs like to encourage, to coax, to bully, to soothe, to mock, to flirt, to lecture, ridicule, you know, so there's a whole bunch. And these words won't be unfamiliar to actors or anyone, but they are individual units of behavior. Mm-hmm. that we do, depending on who we are and how we operate, in order to live in the world, deal with obstacles, deal with achieving what we want. So those are sort of individual active verbs. And if you look in the diary, you'll find those kinds of things when you look at active verbs or transitive verbs. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you might look at a script and you might say, oh, what I'm doing here is I'm protecting myself. So in that case, that wouldn't be what you're talking about. No. Okay. Good question, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is an important point. That's a very good question. And a lot of actors start there. And I say, Mm -hmm. that's a very good place to start. But then I would ask you, what is it that we do to the other person when we are protecting ourselves? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like, you might say, oh, I'm feeling angry at your betrayal. And I'm going, okay, but what is it that one does when you feel betrayed against 
to the other person. To now, the other person is the important part of that. Yeah. Right. You know, we've got these words, encourage, coax, bully, right? They're individual words, but they can also usefully be expressed as phrases mm. and doing phrases. And you'll get guidance from the script in terms of exactly the efficacy of what you're doing and why. And if you really understand the script and, and what's behind it, and therefore, you know, soothing then becomes soothing her pain. Mm-hmm. Or attacking then could, could become attacking her stupidity. So what you've got there is a point of view of this person and what you're doing because they are not getting what you want. So if you get an act and you go, well, what's happening is, wow, I'm getting frustrated. I'm feeling frustrated because they're not getting what I want in terms of the scene. They go, well, what do you do? Well, then I attack her stupidity or I, I crush her or I, I mock her stupidity. So then for me, these phrases take mm-hmm. it a step further and really get you involved in the nuance and the sort of energy behind it, as Andrea said earlier, and makes it more detailed. Ultimately, they're the building blocks of behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by you take it right down to the bottom end of the actable thing that an actor can do. Mm -hmm. And their purpose is to reveal character and how a character operates. Because if someone bullies, but another one soothes, that tells you something about how they go about dealing with this person in this situation. Right. Brian, to your question uh, or the example of to protect oneself, Mm -hmm. you know, if you give an actor that direction, okay, in this section, I want you to really protect yourself. I think many actors would not know where to begin with that, but because the energy of that is inward and thoughtful, and while that may be the psychological energy of the scene, right, as we understand our character, that may be exactly what's underlying it, but an action that the actor can take actively to affect self-protection is the piece that we're talking about. So am I evading? Am I evading telling the truth? Am I evading answering questions? Am I befriending somebody in order to protect myself? Am I blaming somebody else and to protect myself? Am I appeasing so as to protect myself from somebody's anger? Comforting somebody to protect myself from feeling bad. You know, what is that thing? And again, if you can just think of it as an energy that moves from the actor to the object or to the other acting partner. It changes everything. We talk about that a lot in my classes. And most of the time in in my classes, we're just doing a Meisner repetition. But still, when you watch the way that people put energy into the interaction with the other person, you want your default energy Mm -hmm. to be going out from yourself to whatever it is outside of yourself, towards the other Mm -hmm. person. And that's sometimes quite difficult that a lot of people's default when they're threatened is to have their default energy go inwards into themselves to to protect themselves or to run away or to create distance. And so this is a very specific application of that overarching philosophy of sending the energy out from yourself to the other person, which is the most interesting thing you can send it to, but it doesn't have to be to another person, but it has to be out from yourself to something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think actually the repetition exercise is an exercise in actions mm-hmm. because what you're doing is is you're naming the behavior that's coming at you mm-hmm. you know you're putting me down that's an action you know when you look at it from the outside you're not doing this when you're participating in the exercise because you're too busy being in the moment and instinctive but what you're doing is developing the building blocks of behavior mm-hmm. in you that can be reduced down and labeled and phrased to categorize it in a certain way 
Mm-hmm. so that we are able to understand it. Well, I would actually go a step further. I would say what you're doing is you're becoming extremely sensitive mm-hmm. to those doings in the other person. In the repetition exercise, you are doing unconsciously what you later yes. can do consciously. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But you're building up that sensitivity. We're looking at it from a place of understanding and depth of understanding right. technique. That's right. It's just a way of looking at it for people who may have an idea of what repetition is and just finding the links between the two. I want to throw another curveball at you guys before you go on to that point, Gary, if, you, if I can throw yeah, a curveball at you. Okay. So if you're coming out of, let's say, a Meisner training, and you're kind of at the beginning of this training where it's very fluid, things are very much in the moment. Like I said, there's no real guide as a script might be a guide of what is supposed to happen after what. So you might think, you know, I've sat down, I've looked at my tactics, at my doings, at my actions, and I've decided based on the script that it should be this thing, like I'm crushing her soul or I'm making fun of her stupidity or something like that. But the way that the other person's doing it doesn't cause me to want to do that. The question is, how closely do you stick to these actions that you've analyzed in a non-lived out way when it's actually happening, when it's lived out? Hmm. You mean when you're dealing with text? Yes. When you're dealing with text, Mm -hmm. when you're working on an actual piece that you might have predetermined what those tactics or those doings might be. Well, I would say two things. I mean, one, that means there may be a need for a rehearsal outside of the text so that both of you can find more truthful alignment with the behavior that's called for in the scene, quite frankly. But secondly, there is an adjustment that you still have to make. I mean, let's pick a verb. Uh, Let's pick um, to disparage. Let's say I'm going to disparage somebody in the scene. That's how it's written. You know, if I don't seem to be getting the reaction that I want emotionally from my partner, my partner's delivering the lines, which indicate a response, but I'm not really seeing a big emotional piece. What does that do to me? I'm going to have to adjust in some way because ultimately this has to look like a human conversation. It has to be a truthful human conversation. So will I get sneakier about it? Will I get more obvious in order to goad her into a certain response? I mean, it's really then up to me to be in truthful adjustment to what I'm given. And I think one of the wonderful things about rehearsal is that you start to accept that the process, the discovery of it, the exploration is of enormous value. That you may not do two read-throughs of a scene and, and like both magically have the depth and the specificity and the behavior and the moments down until you're really at a yeah, when does that place. happen? Yeah, until you're really, really skilled, that's not really gonna happen immediately. So you need to get down into it. And some rehearsals will potentially feel like they're not in the right direction or they don't have the depth. And then it's got to be, if you have the ability to be rehearsing with your partner in a way that you can speak about honestly about what you're going for, then it's, hey, could we, can we rehearse tomorrow or can we rehearse tonight? And can we try this one thing? I'd really like to experiment with this. Let's give ourselves a setup that does this. So you become, in a way, your own director if you're in that kind of a circumstance, whether it's in class or you're working on a play production. And gosh, if you're on set, 
I don't know. I suppose that's a bit of a different animal, isn't it? Because it's got to satisfy your director. And you might be working with someone who works in a completely different way than yes, you would. That's as right. You might not be in a class. That's right. I would say that even just knowing that based on your analysis of the text, that what the author wrote here is for you to be disparaging her yeah. stupidity, that that gives you ammunition and maybe it's an even more subtle response to what the other actor is actually giving you in the moment. But if you know that what's written is for you to disparage, then that knowledge plus the way that you're getting what the other actor is doing in that moment or the moment preceding what you're going to have to respond with Mm -hmm. as you analyze disparaging her Mm -hmm. or him, then those two things are going to have a chemical reaction. And what's going to come out is going to be something that is maybe not disparagement in the way that you had thought if the other actor had done what you had thought they were going to do in the moment, but it's not going to be completely outside of the realm of disparaging. That's exactly right. Because you know that that's what's happening and you can use that as kind of a base tone. That's exactly right. If you know how you feel about it and you know what you need to do about it to have this conversation, you have to stick with that thing. It's just, you have to make an adjustment to it. Yeah. Then there's a new color of how you go about the disparaging, right? Right. Gary? Yes. Well, what I would say to that, and yeah, absolutely. I and mean, what I just add to that is, is it changes the quality, but not necessarily the intention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the problems, side effects, and pitfalls of actions is the degree of prescriptive control they have over you or the way you hold on to them. And like everything in any technique, you got to leave everything alone. But it's to do with the degree and how you program them in because you've got to make choices. There's got to be some choices. You can't leave it all to the gods. Right. <laughs> you, at the end of the day, you do have to do the script. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the one of the utilities, I believe, of, of actions. And one of the great things about them is, is I think actors who don't use them are inartistic. Mm-hmm. And I think actors who use them properly are artistic. And that means that they make choices just like a sculptor does, just like a painter does. A painter's medium is colors, let's say, on textures. And a musician's medium is, is sound. Well, then at its bottom level, mm-hmm. the medium for actors is actions. Because, like I said, there are the building blocks of behavior, but they also allow you to make interpretive choices and refer to our Digging Into Text podcast based on the information you've got in the script. And it's all to do with how much you hang on to them. And the thing is, is yes, of course, they aren't useful if all you're doing is hanging on to them and playing from them and just banging the other actor over the head with them because life isn't like that and therefore neither is drama or comedy. And so you've got to adjust, as Andrea says, and you say, you've got to adjust. So what I say to my actors is I get them to really go through a process of programming them. And I mean, if you read William Esper's second book, mm-hmm. and you know, this is Meisner protege, a renowned Meisner expert, if you like, he says that you've got to learn the doings of your actions, program them in, and then leave them alone and adjust like you would do in any improvisation. So it's like, learn the doing, then improvise. And the common complaint from actors is like, oh, I feel like I'm prescribing something. And I'm going, well, you're only making it a chore because you're hanging on to them. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you're disparaging, like the example that Andrea gave, if you've decided that your choice here is disparaging, and in the moment, on the night, in the take, the actor, the connection you have with them, if you're in the moment, perhaps doesn't inspire you to disparage them, you will probably maybe dismiss them or something within the 
the family of disparaging. But because you've laid a flag down to start with and made a choice, you're probably going to have a ghost of disparaging because the quality might change, but the intention is still there because of your understanding. Yeah. I directed a show called Two for the Seesaw. I don't know if mm, you know that. Yes. Um, yeah. It's an old, old play and it, it is maybe a bit dated, but it's a great two-hander. And it's, again, what we've talked about in the past, dripping with circumstances. And there's one scene where he comes back because he's seen, he's seen her with someone else. He comes storming in and he interrogates her. I mean, you know, you can't really decide anything else other than he interrogates her about this man that she's been with. But you see, you can make that choice. But then depending on how that night is going or that take is going, maybe you are probing instead. But you're still eliciting answers. You know, so if you make a choice to start with, it will lead you somewhere. And I say to actors, even if you have 50% of your action recognizable in your performance on that night or that take, it's still okay as it's connected in the moment and the moment will take care of the other 50%. So trust the work. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think also it goes back to your point about where artistry is. These are great examples of the moment when a talent and true creativity, the impulses being the heart of your creative mind, that's when they become engaged. You know, when you know you need to disparage and suddenly you're given a different kind of a moment from your partner. Well, you know, suddenly what's going on inside of you, your own machination is how, oh, she's bringing something else up in me. My disparaging is going to come out differently because it has to, like how we perceive the partner, what the point of view is that we've developed that helps us arrive at the choice to disparage becomes increasingly informed with each rehearsal and with each performance. You know, we deepen our sense of this relationship. And so we come up with instinctively all of these ways to go about the disparaging. And it's beautiful to watch the development of of a scene over time. Yeah. You know, they they also produce specificity and clarity of expression Mm -hmm. so that if you are someone who finds it difficult to say seduce or get uncomfortable with that, or you're not necessarily an aggressive person, or that's not necessarily... Now, hopefully with training, you become a balanced actor with all the things available. But as we know, that takes a lifetime of work. But we can get most of that done in a good training in the early years. But, you know, let's say you're not someone who is confrontational necessarily, and therefore the behavior of bullying or attacking or dominating is not easily accessible to you, but it's necessary for the character or you're going up for a part, then you better start to explore those individual ways of being. Actions are pure techniques so that you can then, just like notes in a piece of music, and yeah, when you improvise, you've got to know what notes are there available. And what they do is they expand range. There's depth, which you can get into through emotional work, but this is range and you can still expand your range. So you've got more notes to play. And another thing that it gets at is let's remember that 7% of all communication is verbal. The other 93% is nonverbal. So this also helps us to get at intention, which gets underneath the words, because I might say I love you, but if I'm totally insecure, I might be begging you while I say I love you, as opposed to someone who is just doing it in a manipulative way. There's a different intention behind it, but the words are the same. Mm -hmm. One more idea about the importance of specificity, I think, is when you're looking at texts 
which do not necessarily use our modern vernacular, you know, um, more classic pieces, certainly Shakespeare. You know, Shakespeare has this incredible ability to change the doings from line to line. And mm. the more the actor brings this work to classic texts, the more moving it will be, the more powerful it would be for the modern audiences to grasp because suddenly they're like, oh, I see now. Now I understand. I've seen this play, you know, four times before. I never understood half of it. And now it's come to life for me because what I see is behavior and doings. And I understand it. You have that analogy, you know, of the canoe and the boat, the the emotion, yes. right, and the behavior and, and the, the text sort of riding along that behavior and emotional life. So the behavior is the river and the text is just a boat floating on top of the river. Right. It'll come out different every time depending on where you are in the river, each particular time you go through it. Mm -hmm. And it, whether there's a lot of water going down the river and whether there's a drought Gary, you'd, you'd mentioned one potential pitfall about this aspect of the work. Is there anything else that you feel is worth hashing out? Are there other pitfalls that an actor encounters by putting attention on actions? Yes, there are. There are a, a few. But before I get to that, I just want to pick up on your thing about words. And basically, any wordy text, it allows you to give meaning to it. Mm -hmm. Like soap opera texts that we've talked about and scripts and situations like that, they really do allow you to give meaning to verbose writing or wordy texts. You know, your friend is, is your action because it's the meaning behind it, which is exactly what you're talking about. So mm -hmm. absolutely necessary for classical texts. Mm -hmm. But yes, problems and pitfalls, there are a few. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to grasp hold of because we're dealing with using ourselves. These actions require us to use ourselves more than we do on a day-to-day -day basis. But one of the common pitfalls is they become general and not specific. And I said earlier that they give clarity to one's acting if you use them in the right way. Mm -hmm. And if not used in the right way, they become general and non-specific. A classic example is, well, what are you doing here? I'm manipulating well, that's too general. And going back to what you said earlier, Brian, I would say, well, what does one do? What are the individual constituent parts and many different behaviors that one executes when one manipulates? Manipulate has whole family of actions underneath that umbrella. So to manipulate is too general. It's what is it one can do when one manipulates? So you start to get it to the individual verbs that one can execute when one manipulates, depending on the situation and what's involved. So people can get very generalized with it and therefore not active. Mm -hmm. Another problem is the level of expression, which is often a hindrance to actors. They either stay in their head and therefore it doesn't actually define their behavior mm -hmm. in a clear way because they're still in their head with it. So a way out of that is to exaggerate physically what it is. So if you're warning someone, you go, I'm warning you and you, you know, you stick your finger out in that classic warning way and you build up a picture of it, a feel of it. And it is pure technique. It's just one note and you can kind of get to grips with it that way. But the converse is also true. It might stay in your head, but it also can be people can get a little fond of it. Actors can get a little fond of it and really show it. And that's the same problem as just the opposite side of the coin to keeping it too much in your head and it's too small. And therefore it's maybe too showy and you've got to have it and you've got to know it. And it's about committing to it in a way that there is intent behind it, but not playing it. And that's where you have to rehearse it and find where to pitch it in relation to all the other 
elements mm-hmm. that you're working on. It's almost like in, in a rehearsal, you would exaggerate it to the point where you go, oh, I really know what this is. If you're really getting in someone's face with the finger wagging and all that to warn them, then you do that purposefully in a rehearsal or in a rehearsal. And then when you're going to perform it, or once you feel like, oh, I've got that, then you, like we've said again and again in this episode, you let it go and don't focus on showing it, but just feeling it and allowing that residual to be there. And that probably will be enough. Absolutely. And again, that depends on varying degrees on whether you're on a huge stage of a thousand people or on a close-up. You know, but you're absolutely right. Program them vigorously, then leave alone with ease. And that should take care of it because you'll build up a memory of it, a muscle memory. A sense memory, you were going to say. (laughs) Well, or even a sense memory, yeah, because it can give you a feeling. Mm -hmm. So a sense memory too, and also a picture. It can give you a picture. You might want to have a picture of punching someone before you attack them. It doesn't mean you are going to punch them, but it does inspire the action of attack. Then if you get involved in that, just like a, a dance step, then it becomes part of you. And um, and then you can leave it alone, but you can't leave alone what you haven't programmed. Mm-hmm. We've opened the door to this. I think I would encourage our listeners, for those of you who do this, then continue to do it. For those of you who don't really do this or weren't really aware of it consciously, then start to play around with it and see what works in your rehearsals and and take some big swings at it. You know, like Gary's saying, this is technique, which means that you can just commit to the doing of it, <laughs> uh, the doing of it. You see what I did there? Nice. Commit to the doing of it and then see what it does and see what works and see what doesn't. You know, you might find that you don't need to do that much actually for a particular action or doing to be very alive in you. And some of them you might need to work harder for. But it's all to be approached with a sense of play and with a sense of like exploration. So we definitely encourage our listeners to do that. And let us know as you do it, how it went, how you're exploring these actions and these tactics and these in these intentions. When it's been too much or when it's been too little, let us know at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. And before we go today, we'd like to see what you guys have been listening to or exposing yourselves to in terms of what you might want to pass on to our listeners. So Andrea, have you seen or heard anything this week that you might want to share with our listeners? Yes, I really want to recommend if you've not seen it already, and even if you have, it's maybe worth another look, Sandra Bullock's Academy Award winning performance in The Blind Side which I think was 2010, really a wonderful story and some solid, solid filmmaking. Uh, Tim McGraw plays her husband. Also, I think he's totally underrated. I think he does some really beautiful stuff. It's a great story. I love her characterization. She reminds me of so many Southern women that I've met before, and the the movie just has tremendous heart. Uh, It's a beautiful story. It's based on a true story of a young man who had some difficult circumstances, and a family really just sort of took him in and, and made him their new son. And it's a lovely, lovely story. So please check that out if you've not already. Her performance is ballsy, but also really subtle. And I like it very much. So I highly recommend another look at The Blind Side. 
Great. Gary, what about you? What have you been seeing this week that you want to pass on to our listeners? Well, it's more a, a bit of a homage, actually. The writer, um, as I've mentioned him before, somewhere along the podcasts, one of my favorite writers, if not the favorite writer, is John Le Carre, who oh, yeah. sadly passed away the last few days. He passed away on the, on the weekend. And for those of you who don't know, his major works or his most famous works, if you like, were The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which catapulted him in, 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 the, in the 60s to um, fame. And then Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, both have been made into films. The Spy Who Came In From The Cold with Richard Burton, black and white film, fantastic, very, very atmospheric, Cold War. And then Tinker Taylor, uh, maybe a lot of you have seen it anyway, but um, with Gary Oldman, just a master storyteller and examiner of the human condition in his brilliant narrative style and gripping and his his characters are so rich with detail and nuance that's what kind of hooked me in you know the spy part of it is great but it, it kind of transcends that he's turned a genre into a into more of a literary work and i often use it for advanced character work i get my actors to read a chapter or if they have the time to read the whole book and to create a character from his prose because he's so well drawn and so nuanced um, i sometimes use dickens as well for that but yeah i would recommend reading or watching one of his movies either the spy who came in from the cold or tinker taylor soldier spy as homage to him may he rest in peace oh that's nice great and I am going to recommend two episodes of a podcast that I like to listen to. It's called Anna Ferris is Unqualified. And Anna Ferris is an actress, and she is known for doing sitcoms and comedies, but she has a podcast where she talks to her actor friends, and they get into talking about the business and what the business looks like from a successful point of view, people who are well-known and what their trials and tribulations are. So I, I like to listen to that and gives me hope that one day I might be in that position. Um, <laughs> so Anna Ferris is unqualified. And the two episodes that I listened to that I thought were quite nice discussions about acting and, and the business of acting were the one on November 23rd with Kate Mara um, and the one on November 30th with Joel McHale. So Give those a listen. And Anna Ferris is unqualified, and they talk about some cool stuff and and just about life in general. And I like I like to listen to those. So fantastic! Sounds like a great title for an autobiography as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the podcast started out because she's not doing this anymore. But what they used to do is they would have this guest on, and then they would have callers calling with their psychological problems, and then they would be um, giving advice to the callers that was unqualified. <laughs> meaning that it wasn't professional psychological advice. And now what they're doing is she has a, one section where they talk with the actor and then it's a completely different section where she brings on a actual qualified expert in, in psychological problems and, and issues and they kind of talk to her listeners through that. So I think it, it's probably better, but I, I like listening to the actors talk about their lives. So Cool. Yeah. So how can people keep up with you guys if they want to keep up with you guys? Andrea, where can people find you? They can find me here in person on the island of Mallorca, Spain, if they can get in. We'd love to have you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once people are traveling again, we should do a live show where we, right. where we all go to the same place. <laughs> do a live to show. Slurping our tropical drinks. Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> and uh, they can also find me in the meantime on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene and on Instagram at Andrea Helene three. 
And what about you, Gary? Yes, people can get hold of me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Gary Condes for all of them, or just send me an email, go to my website and uh, get on the contact page at garycondes.com. Excellent. And if you want to find me, you can find me at Brian Casp on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. So yeah, so we we hope that you guys all stay safe. Thank you. Bye. Bye.